I have a question for you today. Have you ever watched someone or something, and when you saw it, you go, uh, that's me? Like you've seen someone in public or you've seen maybe your kids or something like that and you see them behave in a certain way and you look at your spouse or your your partner or or your friend and you lean over and you go like, do I do that? Do I act like that? Do Do I do these things? Like we see a reflection of us in others, do we not? Well, that's exactly what today's message is all about. Today, we're going to see in these seven churches that we're going to study uh, that this letter is written to, and we're going to look at how they are a reflection of probably who we are, right? Because what a lot of us do is we go, there's these seven churches, and I'm not a part of that church, and I don't know that church, and I'm not all of these things, but how many of us know it's a group of individuals that come together that give the spirit of a church, right? And I also wonder, like, what's the spirit of our church? What, what happens when people walk in here? What happens when they're new? What happens when, when they're struggling? Is this a place of love and of grace and, and of the truth of the word of God being proclaimed in people's lives? But for each one of us, because we're studying these churches, this doesn't kind of let you unbuckle the seatbelt for the ride because it's not you. Each of these churches, I think, reflect each one of us in some way. As I was thinking about it this week, um, Jude, uh, he does this thing that I do, and, and we, we don't know where it came from, but Kelsey, whenever I'm kind of like in trouble or she's going to say something to me that I might not like, I've always done this thing where she's like, hey, can you look at me? And I'll just turn my eyes to the side like this. I won't turn my head, but I just turn my eyes like this, right? And then she might be saying like, hey, can we clean this up or do that? And I just give her the side eye like, uh-huh. And she's like, can you just look at me? And I'm like, I am looking at you. And she's like, hey, so this week, literally, uh, Jude was doing something. And, oh, he, um, he's eating waffles right now every morning. That's like his thing. And uh, this, this one morning, I let Jude put his syrup on his waffles. How many of you know that's a big mistake? Because <laughs> we had about a half a bottle left by the time. It, was a, it wasn't waffles. It was, it was waffles in syrup, not syrup on waffles. You know what I'm saying? And so I looked at Jude, and I was sitting there, and I was like, hey, Jude, can I ask you a question uh, about the syrup, and he knew what was coming, so he wouldn't turn his head towards me. And I was like, hey, I'm talking to you, and he turned his eyes sideways, and he goes, I know. And I said, hey, man, do you think we have enough syrup on the waffles? Side-eyed me. I don't know. And I said, hey, do you think we might need to put less syrup next time? He goes, maybe. Maybe. But the whole time he wouldn't look at me, he gave me the side eye. And I thought for just, I said, that's me. There's a reflection of me. And I know it's funny and and whatever, but the reality is, is each one of these churches today, I think, are a reflection of us. A reflection of who we are and what is going on. I, I had someone ask me last week, actually, like, why these seven churches? Well, a couple reasons. One is, if you know anything about numbers in the Bible, and we talked about this last week, that, that Revelation is a book full of numbers because numbers have meaning, and seven is the number of completion. So what is God signifying to us when he says, I'm writing to these seven churches? Here's what he's saying. I'm writing to all of us. These seven churches represent the whole of, of God's church in the world, right? Like this is everybody. And in fact, if you follow on a map, all of these churches are found in modern day Turkey. And you can follow the map in the way that the churches go. They go up the coast, they cut into the inland, they come down, and they actually create a circle. 
if you look at it. And so God is saying to us like, hey, it's not time for you to eject here. I know that we're writing to these churches who are dealing with these things, but this is for you. Right? This is for you to understand and reflect upon because let me just tell you what God and Jesus is going to say to these seven churches is going to impact the way that they go through the end times. They're going to impact the way that they deal with certain things and how they, they, they cope with what is happening. And so for each one of us, we may need to look at what God is saying to us as individuals as we begin to deal with the end times. Everyone asks, when do you think the end times are going to be? I don't really know. I, all I know is seasons. That's what Jesus even tells us, right? He, he told us in the, in the gospel of Matthew that the end times, we will know that we are in the last days by the season. And he likens that to a fig tree who sprouts new leaves when summer is coming. So you know summer's on the way when the fig tree sprouts new leaves. And, and so for us, I, I don't want us to get into the mess of prediction, I want us to get in preparation for a season. Does that make sense in this room? And so could it be tomorrow? Could it be 100 years? Could it be 1,000 years? Could it be whatever? Yes. Yes, it could. And so we have to live with eternity and the end days in mind, and we are imploring us this way. How is the thought of the end times calling you to live, not just look to the clouds? That's what happens to a lot of people as they begin to hear about the end times. They kind of look to the clouds and they kind of stop doing work and they stop doing what they need to do. And God is calling us in, in Revelation chapter 1 verse 3 to not only hear and understand what these words are, but to do something. And so how is God calling you as a group of believers in this room to live in light of the end days? That's why we're going to a brand new location. I don't know if you noticed, we had to get more seats this morning. Right, like we, we, there are people, and it's not like everyone's here. There's people that are not here. There's people joining us online. We have a, uh, let's use the word loosely, congregation of almost 300 people that meet online. And so the reality is, is in light of the end days, I don't want to pump the brakes. I want to hit the accelerator, right? I want to move to new places. I want us to be generous, not just for what we need so that Bedrock can become a legacy church and what we build here goes on into the future. And so let's take a look at this very first church today. Here is the church, Revelation chapter 2, starting in verse 1. To the angel, that means, angelos means messenger. So he's writing specifically to a messenger that is to take this word to the church at Ephesus. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. If you were with us last week, that represents the churches. And Jesus, having these stars in his hand, is signifying control and care. And being amongst the lampstands means that he's not apart from the church. He's with these churches. And here's what's amazing about these seven churches. We're going to cover four today. Is this. Even though they have fallen away, even though things aren't perfect in their life, even though things haven't gone perfectly up to this point, Jesus is still with them. And some of you are going to identify with these churches and go, has God departed from me? And the answer is no. He's with you. We, we all in this room are human beings. I always heard Paul say, uh, Paul said, I am the chief of sinners. I, I am the worst of these things. And I need the grace the most. And I'm like, well, yeah, but Blake Harkup wasn't born yet. You didn't make Blake Harkup yet. Do you ever feel that way? Like you're the chief and the worst and, the, and, and everyone else's life is good, but you're the only one who has all those things that went wrong in your life. 
You're not alone. It's isolation of the enemy, but there's this beauty of while these churches are falling short, while we as individuals fall short, God is with us. He has not left you or departed from you at all. Verse 2, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. Jesus is saying to these churches, I see you. I know how hard you're working. I know that you've persevered. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Jesus starts with the good news. For some of you, you need to hear that. Like you're doing a good job in a lot of areas of your life, but just because all, some areas of our life are doing great, that doesn't mean we can't work on some of the areas that are not. Verse 4, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you first did. I know that in our current culture, that word repentance is like a cuss word. But here's what repentance literally means. Turn around. Turn around. That's what it means. Like, hey, it's time to make a U-turn. You're walking in one direction as a group of believers. It's time to turn the car around. That's it. It's to go and stop pursuing something you shouldn't and start pursuing Christ. Because you can't pursue Jesus and something that is not from Jesus at the same time. So John's going to say through the inspiration and Jesus' words to the churches, repent. Turn around. Do what you first did. Right? Like, keep going in the things that you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you keep going in this direction, there's going to be issues. There's going to be things that happen to you. And notice he doesn't say that I'm going to hammer you. He says that literally my presence is going to leave you. Is there not for us this idea that God is not participating in some of the things that you are and his presence steps away from parts of your life because he's not going to be privy and part of that thing? doesn't mean he's left you or forsaken you, but it means that some of you are not feeling the presence of God in your life, not because God has disappeared, but because he's not participating in what you are. And so what happens is he goes, if you don't repent, if you do not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. How gracious is that? Hey, I'm just going to let you know, like, I just want to let you know, like, if things don't turn around, there's going to be a problem. I'm going to let you know some of the consequences about what can happen. Verse 6, but you have this in your favor. You hate the practice of the Nicolaitans. I'll talk about them in just a second, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. I will give the right to eat from the tree of life which is in, in the paradise of God. So let's talk about Ephesus. You can go to Ephesus now. You can see what's going on. But Ephesus was one of the most important, if not the most important cities in Asia. Ephesus at this time had a huge harbor and a huge port. And currently, uh, as we're reading this book, there were probably between 250 and 500,000 residents of the city. I mean, that's a big city now. Right? 500,000 people in one place. Think about this. Sarasota's getting there. So imagine Ephesus is a city in ancient times that's about the size of our city. And what they would do there is um, it was famous for trade and all of these things. But where Ephesus was, it became an amalgamation of the world. 
If you think of modern-day Istanbul, this would be similar, right? It was a, a place where different parts of the world would meet. And what would happen in the, the city of Ephesus is they worshipped pagan gods. The one that we're most familiar with is maybe you know this, it's Artemis or Diana. And what would happen is, is the people there would worship these gods and the Christians were there and being pressured into it. Listen to what one commentator says about what worship for Diana was like. Temple grounds were a chaotic canophony of priests, prostitutes, bankers, criminals, musicians, dancers, and frenzied hysterical worshipers. The philosopher Heraclitus was called, was called the weeping philosopher because no one, he declared, could live in Ephesus and not weep over its immorality. Heraclitus is a non-Christian philosopher. And he looks at what's happening in Ephesus and he goes, I'm not a believer and I look at what's going on and it makes me weep. Because what has happened is just a city of so much promise has given itself over to so many things that are stealing from that society. Could we not identify with that in our culture right now? Does it not feel like we, we have places in our world, in our country, in our state, in our city that have great promise, but they have devoted themselves to things that are stealing from them? How about you? Are you devoting yourself? You have so much promise. I'll, I'll tell you this. There's a Part of your life, there gets to be a moment when people say to you, man, you've got so much potential. And it's not a, a, a compliment, it's an insult. You know what I'm saying? You know, if you're, if you're like 90 years old in here and people are saying, man, you still have, you got potential. That means you got 89 years where you didn't reach the potential. Right? There gets to a point where that's not a compliment anymore. It means that we haven't risen to this moment. And I think that's kind of what goes on in Ephesus. You have so much potential. You have all of these things, but you're giving yourself over to things that are stealing from you, that are robbing you. And as you as an individual, do you have so much potential in your life with Christ, but you just keep giving yourself over to things that are robbing you of your potential? You're compromising your family, you're compromising your relationships, you're compromising your witness, you're compromising your credibility in business because you're giving yourself over to things that will never give to you and only take away. Because that's exactly what sin does to you and I. Sin overpromises and underdelivers every single time. I was going to tell you, I'll give you everything, and really what sin will do is take everything from you. And this is what's happening in Ephesus. It, it's promising them the world. It's promising them all of these things. And yet, they are giving themselves over to things that are robbing them. Here's how I would describe Ephesus. If we look back at verses 4 and 5, it says this. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love that you had at first. Consider, which means remember, how far you've fallen. Repent and do things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. If you notice the beginning of the letter, the, the words of encouragement, he's saying this. John's saying, you guys did everything right. I mean, you guys have gotten rid of false teachers. You guys are not an idle church. You guys serve. You guys do all of these things. You have a huge church. You guys, uh, like, your, your, your renown in the world around you is well known as a church. And you think, man, they're doing all of the right things. But how many of us know you can do all of the right things for the wrong reason. 
Because here's what happened to the church at Ephesus. This is our first point, and I think one of the first errors that, that we can have, we can start loving religion and leaving Christ. We can start loving religion and leaving Christ. This is a problem for churches, but us as individuals, right? How many of us can do all of the right things outwardly, but inwardly the love of Christ is not in us? It's a love of self. It's a love of reputation. It's a love of all of these things. And what happens to the church at Ephesus is they love their religion, but they're leaving Jesus. Because let me just tell you something. Religion without Jesus is brutal. Religion without grace is not life-giving. It is life-taking. Some of you in this room have come to bedrock from other churches because you've experienced that suffocation. You've experienced these moments where it's all about rules and not about grace, and it becomes apathy about the grace of God, and it just becomes doing what you are supposed to do rather than being a place of grace and mercy and peace and encouragement. Because I want you to notice something. The Ephesian church did exactly the opposite of what Jesus is saying. Jesus says, here's all these great things. I have this against you, but I still love you. The Ephesian church, I don't even know if the Ephesian church would like the Ephesian church. You ever been there? When you get to a church, like, I don't even know if you guys like you. You got, This is miserable. Right? You guys are talking about the king of the universe, and you're singing like you're going to the grave. Like, what's happening? What's happening to you? What has gone on? And so what he says is, look, you've traded Jesus for religion, and that's not a fair trade. Because religion will steal from you. Jesus will give you life. So I wonder for us in this room, how good are you at playing Christianity? Can we just be honest in this room for just a second? I didn't grow up in the church. So sometimes things that people do in church are weird to me. It's just true, right? You ever been around that kind of person? You're like, I could tell you love Jesus, but like, I don't know. This is a little weird. Seems a little put on. You know, like when you see somebody and you know that their life is terrible and you know that things are hard and they're like, how you doing? Blessed beyond measure, brother. (laughs) Really? I mean, that's true, but I don't, I think I'd be like, I'm blessed beyond measure. I I think, yeah. You know, like, hey, how are things going with your family? How are things going? You just heard them screaming at their family when you were picking them up, and then you get them outside, and it's like, how are you doing? They're, Great. <laughs> Life is good. I love my family. I love my family. You're like, I, you love them really loud, right? Like, you, okay. This is what's happening in the Ephesian church. You're doing all the right things with all the wrong heart. And let me just tell you something. Religion gets tiring. Because if your heart is not into what God is doing, keeping rules and living a two-faced life and doing all of these things, it's exhausting. How many of us in this room feel like you just, you're, you're a person and every day for you is Halloween because every day you're just wearing a mask. Every day is like, here's my Christian face and when I get home and look in the mirror, here's my miserable life. The reality is, is how can we jump in? How can we be a part of your life? How can we start to restore the joy of your salvation and be a church that comes around you while you put on your happy face? 
We got to be honest. We got we got to stop following religion and start following Jesus because following religion will steal from you. Following Jesus will give life to you. And let me just tell you something. When you love Jesus, doing the things that he calls you to do is not a chore. It is grace. It is beauty. It is awesome. It is life. And I think that's where we've gotten as a church, as a group of people in this world that we have stolen true life with Jesus and replaced it with a bunch of rules. And that doesn't mean like we just do whatever we want. We, we, we cheapen grace by just sinning and abounding all the more in our sin. But man, do you still have life in your lungs of faith? Or is this just rote apathy? See, and Paul even says like, look, you, you've become religious. Like you've done all of these things and you're so good at religion, you deny other religions, right? You, you get rid of the Nicolaitans. The Nicolaitans were these people who said like, just do whatever you want. Just like live life to the excess, live life in gluttony. They live lives of unrestrained indulgence. Does that not sound like our current culture? And by the way, it's not just our culture. Does it not sound like the culture of the world? Yeah, just keep, enjoy, 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 enjoy. Yeah, just keep, how many of you ever eaten yourself sick? Some of you, that's what you did, uh, like, 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 you did that yesterday, right? You're like, I'm sick. I got to go to the bathroom. I was with a guy the, a while ago. He ate this pizza, and we were eating. I'm like, man, I'm full. And he's like, man, me too. And he kept eating, and he's like, man, I, I don't feel good. Went to the bathroom, got sick, got sick, then came back. He's like, I'm ready to eat more. I was like, man, you might have a problem. <laughs> okay, you're tasting that pizza twice. Let's give it up. I was like, dude, just calm down. But that's not what the world tells us, right? Keep indulging, keep indulging, keep feeding that habit. And let me just tell you something. Whatever you feed in this world grows. Some of you, the monsters that are in your closet are monsters because you fed them for your entire life. And so what happens here is he says, look, you're even good at getting away from that and going, well, that's not true. But he says, the love of Jesus is not in you. And so what happens is he gives the the Ephesian church a way to come back. He says, remember what you first knew. Remember your first love. Repent and then what? Do what you first did. How many of you know like in a marriage, you guys have been married a long time and like your marriage is maybe now a little bit of religion. Right? Like this, uh, okay, it's Valentine's Day, flowers. Okay, wife's coming, birthday, I'm going to go ahead and get this. Okay, yep, we got our anniversary, let's pick the steakhouse. Yep, this happens, that's what goes on. Okay. Do you remember what it was like when you first fell in love? Yeah, let's go. God, I just left my brother up. No. But you know what I mean? Like everything was a joy. Everything like, you, you know, you were like, I can't wait to go to dinner with you. I can't wait to get you flowers. I can't wait to be with you. I can't wait to talk to you at night. I talk to you while we fall asleep while the phone's still on and we wake up in the morning. My phone is dead because we both passed out. Is your marriage still like that? Maybe it needs to mature. Yes. I don't think you need to fall asleep every night on the phone or things like that. But the reality is, is the love that you first had for your spouse, is it there? And if it's not, here's the beauty of it. You can cultivate it. Some of y'all need to put a little bit of romance back in that relationship. 
Some of you need to, to have this, this desire. And, and like, like I said, what you feed grows. You want more relationship. You want more intimacy in your marriage. You want to be better friends. You want to talk more. Then feed it. Some of you just think, I'm just going to pray about it. And then all of a sudden, no. Plant the seed, water, and see what it produces. But you got to keep going. you got to keep going. What do you need to do in your life? How do you need to respond to Jesus in your life right now? Because here's what happens. And this is the beauty that he gives the Ephesian church and he gives to you and I. He says in verse 7, he begins to talk to him. He says, whoever hears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches, to the one who is victorious. Everyone say victorious. victorious. This is what John's saying. In Christ, you're overcomers. In Christ, in Jesus, you can overcome this religion and get back to being in relationship with Jesus. You are an overcomer. You don't have to be controlled by these things because the spirit of God, which overcame the world, now resides in you. Look at what 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 to 5 says. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. It's not might. It's not could. It says everyone who's been born of God overcomes the world. Why? This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the son of God. You are an overcomer. You can overcome these things. And that reminder is for every church here. In Christ, you are overcomers. In Christ, you can overcome these things because what we see is all of these churches have had the influence of the world begin to dominate them and they're not influential on the world. Here's one final verse on this for you. 1 John chapter 4, verse 4. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them. Why? Referring to the world. Because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. How can we expect to like, plug into the power of Jesus if we're not in relationship with Jesus and we just have religion? This is, what Paul, this is what John is saying to this very first church. You, you have left your first love, and you are losing the life that you have in Christ. But let's move on. Revelation chapter 2, verse 8. This is the church of Smyrna. Listen to what it says. To the angel of the church of Smyrna, write these words to him who is the first and the last, who died and came back to life. What is God reminding them of? I am victorious. I am the victorious Christ. The Smyrna church is the only church that doesn't have anything against them. Only church. Listen to what it says. These are the words of him who, who was the first and the last who died and came back to life. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Whoa. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in, you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. It's not 10 literal days. This is the 10 Roman emperors who are going to persecute the Christian church. I know what's coming. I know what's going to happen. I know the suffering that you are about to do. I know that the devil will test you. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you as your victor's, I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the church is the one who is victorious, the one who is an overcomer, will not be hurt at all by the second death. 
What does that mean? The judgment seat. What's, what about Samirna? It's not the largest city, but it is the most beautiful. In fact, if you go there now, you can go to this city. It's called Izmir. Izmir is a port city in Turkey right now. You can go there. You can see this place. It wasn't the most important, but they in that city at that time, outside of the Christian culture, were deeply devoted to emperor worship. They worshiped Caesar as a god. And I told you last week, if you didn't worship Caesar as God, then you were going to be in some trouble, right? Because they thought natural disasters were your fault. They thought that their economy was going to be hurt because you didn't give in to this worship. And so they were blamed. And because they were so into emperor worship at this place, they came against these believers in ways that are unimaginable. You know what's interesting about that name, Smyrna? It's actually a translation uh, used in the Greek Septuagint for the Hebrew word for myrrh. You guys remember myrrh? Myrrh was this, um, well, you really had to crush myrrh to create an oil, and that oil was used to anoint the living and the dead. Right? It was this incredibly powerful spice, this incredibly powerful aroma. But I want you to hear what this one commentator said. Its association with death perfectly pictures the suffering of the church of Smyrna. Like myrrh, which their name is translated, is produced by crushing a fragrant plant. The church at Smyrna was crushed by persecution and gave off a fragrant aroma of faithfulness to God. At Smyrna, unlike Ephesus, there was no waning of love for Jesus Christ. Because the believers at Samirna loved him, they remained faithful to him. Because of that faithfulness, they were hated. And because they were hated, they were persecuted. And that persecution, in turn, incited them to love Christ more. So let me just ask you a question. There is nothing in this letter but reassurance that I am with you. I'm with you. I know the persecution. I know what people are saying about you. I know what's happening to you, and I am with you. But let me just tell you something. I've called you to such a beautiful thing because the aroma of the crushing that you are experiencing is an aroma to the world of what it means to be faithful to Jesus. And even in what the world meant to kill you, I am now producing a great work in you. And I am producing this oil out of the crushing of your life to help not only spur other believers on, but to bring new believers into the kingdom because that is supernatural. And Jesus looks at them and says, I see your crushing. I see what is going on. And could you in this room, could we believe for just a second And maybe you're persecuted or you feel crushed or you have these things going on in your life. But the way that you suffer matters. God never promises that suffering is not coming. But he does promise that he's with you in it and it can produce something beautiful. So what is the oil? What is the new wine being pressed out of your life? Right, everyone wants new wine. How do you get new wine? You crush grapes. And what was something great is produced into something really beautiful because of in the crushing, God produced something better. Do you in this room need to hear that God is with you and he is producing an aroma, an oil, a something out of your life that will be for others, encouraging them to come to Jesus? How you suffer matters. And for the church at Smyrna, you have every reason to leave. You have every reason to not do these things. And yet you are faithful. And God's great reward for you is that you will have life. And that you are an aroma to the world of what it really means to love Jesus.
Do you need to hear that today in this room? You're crushed, you're persecuted, but God sees what you are going through and he's producing something out of the crushing. And he's producing something out of your life and you have to give yourself over to that. Because let me just tell you something, it can all be bad stuff or it can be bad stuff that God turned into good stuff. What do you want it to be? What do you want it to be? We're not a church that preaches, yep, if you believe in Jesus, everything goes perfect. If Jesus died and suffered and was persecuted, come on. But the beauty, guys, and suffering is a part of everyone's life. It's not like people who don't believe in Jesus are absent of suffering. They're just absent of the hope in suffering. In this world, there will be suffering. There will be the breaking of bones. There will be the pressing. But believe and trust that God is producing something better in your life. And others may come to know him because of what you are doing. So the next church is this church that I would say this. Here's how I would say it. We're the two cool. We're the cool two church. We're cool. Right, guys? Anyone ever been to churches like that? And I'm not pointing out everyone, but it's like, we're cool. Come out. We're cool, too. You ever been around someone like that? Like, look at me. I'm cool. You're like, you're not cool. Okay. <laughs> Revelation here continues, not after going with the church at Samuna to Pergamum. To the angel of the church at Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. This means that the word of God will pierce you and cut you to the very marrow. God sees and knows what's going on. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Sounds like not a great place. Like you don't put that on the banner coming into the city. Pergamum, the place where Satan's throne is, right? Like no one's like, oh, I can't wait to go there. He says, yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who have, who have taken hold of the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality likewise likewise you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans we know that they're not good dudes repent therefore otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth whoever has ears let them hear what the spirit says to these churches to the one who is victorious what are they overcomers Right? They're victorious. They're overcomers. They're going to win the battle. The one who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. What was the hidden manna? Manna was put in the Ark of the Covenant, which represented the body and the presence of God. I'm going to give you my presence. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to sustain you. I'm going to be with you. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. He says, you will have a place in honor of heaven. What's interesting during this time is in temples in this area, on the temple pillars, they would write the names in white stone of prominent people. Like if you were a prominent person in the city, you'd be on the pillar and your name would be etched in stone on the pillar of that temple. Here's what Jesus is saying. I know you know what this means. I, you, if you resist, if you are victorious, if you don't go and do these things, if you don't bring the world into your life too much, I am telling you that my presence will be with you and you will be with us and you will be important. And not just so your name is written, what he's saying is, is I see you and I know the importance of you. 
And so what happens here is Pergamum is an important city because it is a city where all of the government of Asia was held. It's big, it's important, not quite as big as Ephesus, but it was big. It's the most distinguished city of Asia, and it was obsessed with emperor worship. Imagine a city that's built around politics that serves and worships the emperor. Do we not have this in our own culture right now? I would say this. I'm going to get in someone. Okay. (laughs) If you go to vote, and the only thing that you do is you don't know anything about the candidates, but you only vote a party line, you might worship the emperor. No one said you had to vote. You can abstain on that one. I don't know this lady. I don't know this guy. I don't really know what this means. Right? Because that's what you're told, right? Just vote the party line everywhere. Da, 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 da. Then something happens. You're like, what happened to me? Why is insurance so expensive here all of a sudden? Oh, I, maybe. You didn't know what was happening. You worship the emperor. Maybe if your leaders, and I, this is on either side, guys, let's be honest. There are some major character flaws in our politics, are there not? But if you can overlook every flaw because they just belong to the party that you affiliate with and you ignore all of those things, you might worship the emperor. Look, I know that we're not voting in the next leader of the church. I know that. I know that. I know that we're not doing that. But man, at least have a voice and stand up for your convictions and say, yeah, you know what? There's really no good choices and here's what's going on and here's why I'm voting for this. But that part of their life is unacceptable. And I wish there was someone more acceptable. Guys, we live in this world now where we worship the emperor. You know why we worship the emperor? Because some of us have been deceived to believe that kingdoms of this world will bring us freedom. That's the deception. Well, if I vote for this group or if I vote for that person, then I will surely have freedom. I am here to tell you that that's not the case. Because we are here to serve the emperor and the emperor is not here to serve us. I'm just telling you the truth. It should be that the emperor is here to serve the people. But we have totally misplaced what leadership is. So, vote. Absolutely. Vote according to your convictions. 100%. Is there going to be a perfect candidate? Not at all. But do your part and make sure we worship King Jesus and not the emperor king. That's exactly what happens to the church at Pergamum. They are obsessed with emperor worship. The church at Pergamum became symbolic with many churches throughout history who compromised their faith to fit in with the world. He gives this example of Balaam. He encouraged King Balak to to have intermarriage with people from outside of Israel. And that then he encouraged them not only to intermarry, but then to worship the idols of those nations. This is what he said. Hey, you want peace in this world? You want things to be okay? Then go ahead and marry in and make sure you start worshiping what they worship. Make sure that these things go on. Make sure that these things happen in your life. Here's what it is. The church was so ready to become part of the world. This is what it is. The church was ready to go like, hey, we're cool too. See, we fit in. 
See, we get it. See, we want to do all of these things. And like, especially the young people in the room, this is going to be your call for the next few years in high school and middle school. There's some young men. I love that these young men are sitting on the front row. But let me tell you this. You are going to have, I'm telling you it's coming, to this pressure to become like the world so that the world will like you. Stand firm, young men. Love Jesus and love those people. Be friends with those people. Be, 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 be a spiritual influence in those people's lives, but don't be so quick to become the world. Let me just tell you guys, like the world is not even taking care of the world anymore. Can I just be honest? It's not good. There seems to be no freedom, but here's the reality of what Pergamum is doing. This is what Jesus is saying and talking to. Hey, you're so, you have freedom. The question in this room is not, do you have freedom? We all have freedom. The question is, what are you doing with your freedom? What are you doing with it? You have it. What are you doing with it? How are you walking into it? Because let me just tell you something. If you do not deal with your freedom well, the freedoms that you have will become the bondage you eat later. Let me just tell you the truth. How many people do you know who became addicted, who are addicted, who have a, a, an issue uh, going on in their life when they had the freedom to participate in those things? And because they did not use their freedom well, their freedom became their bondage. You have freedom in this room. The Church of Pergamum have freedom. Use your freedom well. Well. But here's the beautiful thing, that in Christ you are free, and you have the freedom to leave those bonders. Why? Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. If I had a catchphrase for this church, this would be the catchphrase. Uh, what's the big deal with that? You ever hear that? Hey, do this. I don't know. Ah, uh, what's the big deal? What's the big deal with that? Just go for it. Just try it. Just walk into it. How many of you, that's how things started in your life that went terribly wrong. The first thing that you heard was, ah, oh, what's the big deal? There, I'm just going to tell you guys, we all want to experience everything. There are some things not worth experiencing. And you better think about in your life what the end road of the thing that's ah, not a big deal is. Here's one. Oh, my high school sweetheart reached out to me on Facebook. Should I talk to them? Ah, what's the big deal with that? Do you know how many marriages that I counsel over the years that have ended in divorce because some old high school sweetheart, when things were better, have divided whole families because it started off with, ah, oh, what's the big deal with that? Ah, oh, what's the big deal? It's not a big deal. And then sin will always take you further, faster, longer than you ever intended. And you will wake up somewhere that you never thought you'd be. And so what do we do as, as people? Because we, we are to be in the world, but not of the world. So as Christians, how do we handle this well? And we're going to wrap up here in just a second. There's three things that you and I do in this world with culture. And this is what the Church of Pergamum didn't understand. Here's what we do. There are things in our culture that we rejoice over. We rejoice over. We're like, yeah, I'm in on that. I might ruffle some feathers because there's probably some political alliances in here, but I'm going to just like fix that for just a second. Like here, I'm into taking care of the environment. You're like, oh, what are you? I'm a Genesis 1 kind of person. I'm the first thing that Adam and Eve were given on this earth was to have dominion and to take care of the earth. So I'm into taking care of the earth. 
It was the first call for us as humanities to be wise and good stewards of the earth. That's what we were called to do. That's why I'm into taking care of this. Why would we not be into taking care of our home? So there's certain things that we look at and we go, I might not agree with, with what you're doing. Some of you are worshiping the earth. I'm not worshiping the earth. I'm just following the call of God and the command of God to take care of the earth. So we can rejoice. But what else can we do with culture? We can redeem it. There's some parts of culture that we go, yep, that, you have the right idea, just not the right way to get there. And so we can look at certain things in the culture and go, hey, that's really good. Here's something. Uh, did you know that in teenagers right now, premarital sex or sex outside of marriage or sex amongst teenagers is down? Yes! It's awesome! We're headed in the right direction! Except when you find out why. It's because of the proliferation of pornography. It's trading one captor for another. So what do we need to do? Do we need to celebrate and go, man, that's great. That's incredible. You're being wise. You're being smart. We need to redeem the reason why. Because you're made more for this. You're you're, you're made more than than just self-fulfillment and pleasure and all of these things. You're made for more than this. That you are made in the image of God and everything has its right place in its right season. And it's awesome and it's good. But we have to use it in the right season because every gift in the wrong season is a curse. And so, yes, we redeem that. We go, hey, we're heading in the right direction. Let's start heading in the right direction for the right reason. And then there's parts of the culture that we reject. We reject. We just say, no, that is not good. It does not lead down a good road, and it's not something that we are going to participate in. The church at Pergamum was too quickly ready to compromise so many things to just be a part of it. See, we're cool too. See, we're cool, right, guys? (laughs) and so my question is for you what are you compromising in your life to fit in with a world that's not going to love you back this is what Pergamum deals with and then finally the last church that we deal with this is the longest letter written to the churches it's not a good thing to the church of Thyatira here we go to the angel of the church in Thyatira these are the words of the son of God whose eyes are like a blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Things are good. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her out on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her. That means that they stop following God and start following this teaching with her suffering intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her child dead. You're like, what? This is a philosophy. These are the philosophies that spring off from this idea. I'm not, he's saying, I'm not going to deal with these things. Then all of the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each according to their deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not done these things, right? Have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets. Do we have any organizations in our current world that seem to have this secret knowledge? 
Illuminati. How about this? The Church of Scientology. No, come in here, pay us some money. We'll give you the deepest secrets, the secrets of life for $9.99. There's a Black Friday sale. It's only $4.99, right? <laughs> so you're like, I've been waiting for this sale all year. Okay. They have this secret knowledge. Aren't we all enticed by secret knowledge? Why do you think conspiracy theories are so prevalent? I will not impose any other burden on you. He says, you guys are doing great, except to hold onto what you have until I come. To the one who is victorious, the overcomer, and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery. Just as I have received authority from my father, I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let him hear what the spirit says to these churches. Here's how I would describe the church of Thyatira. It's Jesus plus something. It's Jesus plus something will lead you to happiness, to holiness. See, this is what it is. The the church of Pergamum, the sickness was from outside. The church of Thyatira, the sickness is inside. The church is sick. It's not just the influence of the world on the church. It's that there are things going on within the church that are causing it to be sick. Uh, So what's happening? This is the smallest church, but it has the longest letter. Now, we got to understand what is being said here because I want you to think about this. You guys know modern labor unions, correct? This city had what they called guilds. Guilds were basically labor unions that said, if you want to work in our city, you got to do what we say you're going to do. So this lady uh, who says to have had the spirit of Jezebel, if you understand the Old Testament, you know that King Ahab wasn't a great guy, and then he married Jezebel, and it got worse. Jezebel was like, hey, we need to get away from all of this. We need to worship these gods, and we need to kill these 400 priests who are for God to make sure that no one comes against what we're doing. She used seduction. She used lying. She is manipulative, and she does that. And he says that there is a person in this church that is like that. One commentator said it might be the wife of the leader of the church. And he said to the leader of the church, you're weak. You have not stood up against this, and you must. Here's what it says. It says, do whatever you need to do to get there while still loving Jesus. Let's bring some other faiths and some other things into it. And I know that God calls that sin, but we got to participate in that so we get along in the world. How many of us, that's how we live. In these gilded moments, they would have big parties, and they would basically have meat and things given to idols. And it wasn't on the back end. This was like, if you eat this, you're worshiping that idol. And then after they would eat, they would have giant parties. You know what I'm saying? We've got some youngins in the room. I'm going to try to keep it PG. (laughs) Right? They weren't bowling. Okay, let's just say that. Okay? And they said, hey, you want to work here? You want to do what we do? You want to be a part of this? You want to make a living? You better start worshiping what we worship. And so this leader within the church, instead of saying, stay strong, God will take care of you. God will provide. We will find godly people for you to work for that make sure you don't have to compromise all of your faith. This person with the spirit of Jezebel said, it's not a big deal. You know why it's not a big deal? Because the body, it doesn't matter. It's only the soul. What you realize is, is when you start giving yourself over to things within the church, your soul is not healthy. 
And so here's what happens is he's saying you have to turn away from this person. You have to do this. And let me just give you kind of some indicators of a spirit of Jezebel. Here's what a spirit of Jezebel would do. They lead people away from God. They dominate weaker people. They want total control. And if you will not give it to them, they're going to get rid of you. They lie and manipulate to get the way that they want. They are seductive in their attempts. They are willing to get rid of anyone who doesn't go with what they want. And there's an unwillingness to turn to God. Some of you said, you just described my boss. (laughs) That is the spirit. And here's what the Bible is saying. Thyatira, you're welcoming this in. You're welcoming this in. It's not only like you're trying to fit in. Now you've brought this all into the church. And let me tell you, if this doesn't change, things are going to go bad. There is sickness in what is going on. And everyone says this, healthy things grow. Well, so does cancer. That's the reality. And for some of you, like, you're on the cusp of, like, being in the world and then now bringing it into your life and adopting the practices of it. And what we feed grows. And here's what John is saying. I I, I want you to notice this because some of this is bad. Like some of this is crazy. It's like some of this is like inconceivable. Even in our modern age, we go like, what did you have to do? But I want you to notice something. Jesus never gives up on the churches. He never does. He goes, man, you, man, you're all kinds of messed up. You're, you're all kinds of mixed up. You're all kinds of moving in the wrong direction. Thanks be to God that I am the great physician. Thanks be to God that when my spirit resides in you, you can overcome these things. Thanks be to God. And what he's saying is, is I'm telling you of a time that is coming, and I want you to get prepared, and I want you to see what's going on, and there's some things in your life that we got to cut out. And if there's nothing in your life that you need to cut out, you're a better person than me. But if you're suffering and you're in persecution, he's with you. But in all of these other places, return to your first love. Stop loving the world so much that you're compromising out there. That that would be like, I live like this on Saturday, but I come to church on Sunday. And then the church of Thyatira is, let's just bring it all in. Let's just bring it all into the house. And as we get ready to study these next few churches next week, I don't know if there's something in all of us here that you can identify with these churches, but the same news to them is the same news to you. Greater is he who lives in you than he who is in the world. So in Christ, you can overcome this. Here's the other good news. He has not left you. He is with you. And he is a long-suffering and patient God. And so today... Here's what we're going to do. Cody's going to come and sing a song. But I want to allow this moment for you because to, to let this go where there's moments where we can lay things down, where there, a moment where we can let things go, a moment where we can say, I'm not going to do this anymore. Some of us, if we're all honest, all of us need to bring something down. Need to let it go at the altar to just to say, like, I, I am not participating in these things. I want to renew my love for you. I've been too much into the world, and, and it's getting dangerous. Or, man, I've brought some things into my spiritual house that is not healthy. Lord, I need you to do some surgery. But as you feel that, it may be singing. It may be right there in, in your seat. It may be coming forward and writing on a card something and leaving it here. Whatever it is, do not let this moment pass you by. Because who you are in the last days is dictated a lot by how we deal with these things.
And remember, this isn't a moment of fear. This is a moment of grace. This is a moment of peace. And this is a moment for you and I to see our reflection and to see, like, oh, there are some things I need to change. And today's the day to do that. And if you're in this room and I want to talk to you and you say, man, I'm freaked out. I don't know what to do. And you are scared. Then we want you to know the one who has control of all things. The one who can save your life and rescue you from sin and death. And you can have this great hope in your life. And that the Bible says that if we believe in Jesus and that he lived for us and that he died for us and he rose again to show his victory over sin and death. If we believe that and we confess that, we will be saved. And for you today, that's your first step is to say yes to Jesus so that you have the power to be an overcomer, to overcome these things. And so come as you feel led in this moment and respond to God today. God, we love you. We thank you for your word and your truth and thank you for writing these letters to these churches. But God, thank you for never giving up on them. Thank you for still standing amongst them and being with them. And there may be things in all of our lives where we identify with the spirit of these churches, but God, would you give us the courage and the strength to turn towards you? Would you give us in this moment a peace which surpasses understanding and a supernatural conviction and perseverance to walk with you so that your spirit and our obedience to your word will overcome the things that have dominated us for so long. God, we love you. We thank you. And we thank you that there's freedom in this place and there's grace in this place. And there's the anointing to do the task to overcome the things that are overcoming us in this place. And God, we trust in you. We believe in you. And now, God, I pray that we run to you today. We love you. We praise you in Christ's name. And everyone said, amen.